Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. There's a lot that you could do with psychology and advertising. And I think people have like a general knowledge of it. Uh, and the, we were just talking about this. The most common things that I see is usually social proof or authority proof. Those are two what we call heuristics, right? So they're mental shortcuts that most people take to make a decision. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Sarah on the podcast. She is one of the best in the biz when it comes to psychology and ads, how to integrate psychology and ads, how to integrate psychology into your creative. Um, I'm excited to chat with her, but I'll let Sarah tell you her story of how she got into marketing quickly, and then we can get into the chat. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm super excited. It's going to be a good chat today. So I've been in marketing for a long time. I actually first started in marketing when I was 20, maybe 21. I'm going to be 35 this year. So like a long time, <laughs> 15 some years. The interesting part was, though, I didn't actually start in the psychology field. I was a, like a graphic designer and a brand identity person. And I was going to school for graphic design. And I had a professor who was like, you know, if you're good at this, you don't really have to go to school to do it. You could literally just go start working. And I was like, cool, I don't want to pay for student loans. So I dropped out of college and just started a freelance business and then did that for the next 10 straight years. And the interesting part was I oftentimes kept getting clients in the in the door who were like, do you know how to do WordPress websites or do you do SEO? Do you do email marketing? And I would always say yes, even though I had no idea how to do any of it. So I had to like go learn how to do it as you do as an entrepreneur. So I would go to the library of all places because I don't like truncated information. I need like the whole picture. Internet information is too short for me. I need like the whole thing. So I'd go to the library and pick up all these marketing books. And next to the marketing section was all this like consumer psychology and economics and like all these really interesting behavioral books that are from the 80s because that's all the library has. And so I just, I, for 10 years, I just picked up all these books and just like devoured them. I couldn't get enough of it. And I didn't tell anybody I had this knowledge or knew anything about psychology until I fell into paid advertising about four or five years ago. And that's how I ended up here, I guess. <laughs> First of all, that library is cool to putting psychology books next to marketing because they, they understand. <laughs> but first of all, what does it mean to integrate psychology and ads? And then we can talk about some specific strategies on how you think you could do it. There is a lot that you could do with psychology and advertising. And I think people have like a general knowledge of it. Uh, and the, we were just talking about this. The most common things that I see is usually social proof or authority proof. Those are two what we call heuristics, right? So they're mental shortcuts that most people take to make a decision. So social proof, if you have that in an ad, people are going to say, oh, other people like this. So I probably will. It's just an easier way for the brain to make a decision. Now, those are two mental heuristics. There's literally hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them that are basically global, right? So it's universal for every human. So I think it's time most marketers understand that like the psychology is everything, the colors you choose, the models you put in there, the words in particular that you use for these ads or lack thereof, all do something for the brain. Because what we're doing as marketers is trying to elicit a response from 
the brain of a human that's across the screens from us. So the whole thing is psychology. <laughs> All of marketing is psychology. And having more knowledge about it is going to be the only way that these brands are going to win from now into the future. I think also I want to dive into a question that I know probably gets put up a lot on social and everything. But since you know that the brain works this way and you, since you know that psychology works this way, how do you do it in a way that is helping the person on the other side of the screen or where, wherever they are seeing an ad versus manipulating them on the side of the screen? I get this question a lot because people are always very concerned that like, well, if Sarah's using psychology, does that mean you're just manipulating people? Absolutely not. You're using psychology no matter what. <laughs> so like, even if you don't know you're doing it, you're still, anytime you build an ad, there's psychology built into it because you're talking to the brain. So in general, when it comes to kind of the ethics that surround using psychology and advertising, I try really hard to remember that most of the time these consumers have been dealing with the problems that they're dealing with for literal years before they are coming to the point where they're ready to purchase something. In general, impulse purchases don't exist. The subconscious need for that particular product exists for months sometimes before they ever get to purchasing. So in general, I try really hard to remember that like the psychology is going to be in there no matter what. It's my job as a psychology-based marketer to not overstep the bounds into something that's going to make people feel negative about themselves or elicit some sort of an emotional response that's hurtful, right? So I'm not going after emotions that are going to be too triggering for people and that's on purpose. My job is to be very careful with how I use the psychology so that people can get what they need out of life. That's the most important part. I think one thing that you just said that I want to dive into because I think people think it's impulse and it's not is that in most impulse buys have been seeded for a while or yeah. or <laughs> or whether you, it's been seeded by marketing or seeded by just like pains you've experienced as a human being, you've needed that product or you've had a desire for that product somehow. So could you explain like how the mind works for impulse buys and how that, and how to elicit, not elicit, but get people to dig deeper into the need or want that they have? In general, I would rather people not go after somebody who's an impulse buyer. Mostly because impulse purchases don't exist, like I said. Uh, the brain is really interesting because it's basically a three-pound organ that consumes about 20% of the glucose in your body on the daily. So you're, I mean, almost a, like a third, right, of all of the sugar that you're taking into your body, almost a quarter, basically, of all the sugar that you're taking into your body every single day goes straight up to your brain to just make yourself alive <laughs> and keep yourself going, right? Interestingly enough, brains in this particular culture and every culture on the planet interact with other brains on a daily basis. So everything you are interacting with, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the people you're like coming across all get recorded inside the subconscious. And that over time, depending on the negative or positive experiences that you go through in life, will generate the human that you are. So from this, you usually have all these deep-seated needs and hurts and fears and pains and also all of these great aspirations and goals and abilities and like really interesting things about your personality that are coming from decades of experiences on this planet. So 
when I hear a brand who's like, well, we really want to capitalize on more impulse purchases. We really want to get a lot more people who are just going to buy, buy, buy. I always tell them, please don't do that because the the impulse buyer, the one that the algorithm is saying just purchased within the last like seven days, technically isn't doing that. <laughs> and so we're basically dumping money at people who might have a little bit less of a motive to stick with the brand. I don't really necessarily want somebody who's going to buy quick because it's possible that their pain is really high at that point in time. I would so much rather buy for someone who's like, I've been dealing with this problem for a re- like decades, a really long time, and I'm ready to actually dedicate the time, energy, and financial commitment to solving it long term. That's a higher LTV customer, and that's also just a, a better customer in general than somebody who's just buying products left and right. Some products are one-off buys and some products are LTV plays that you want someone to come back. So like if you have a a vitamin or something like that, like obviously that's an LTV play. But if you have something that someone's going to use once and never use again, then that makes sense. But I also want to go into some tactics people could use today. So what are some, when you're building an ad, what are some say like psychology biases that people have or things you weave into ad creative to make um, the ad more successful? Pricing psychology is one of the ones that I see people shy away from, especially in advertising and, and marketing, mostly because people don't know what prices do to people. So they set their prices based upon what their competitors are doing or what they think they should be doing. They almost always use a nine or a seven somewhere <laughs> in all of their pricing. Uh, and I have to come back and very gently tell people there's a numbers do a lot to the brain. There's some serious brain activity that's happening when you're processing numbers. And so pricing psychology is probably one of them, especially this um, basically anchoring prices to each other. So one of the best brands I've seen do this is a brand called Billy and they do it for razors, right? So there's similar to like Dollar Shave Club where it's cheaper razors for women. And they have a price that's almost always this kind of like $5 per box of razors or whatever it is. Real cheap, right? DSC brand. Now, in almost every ad I've seen from them, they always use a price anchor. So they have a $10 like symbol that's crossed out and next to it is their $5 price. This is like one of the best ways to position your product in the market because most of the time people have general anchors in their head for how much things cost, right? Based upon all of their interactions of all of the products that they usually purchase, but they don't necessarily have an anchored price in their head while they're watching the ad. So they have like a general knowledge. Razors are probably somewhere between like $5 and $10. But when they're watching an ad, their brain is basically double checking all of the information it has about razors to see whether that 10 and 5 is an actual good deal. So I wish brands would go further into the pricing psychology because there's a lot you can do with it. It goes all over the place. I mean, I remember I used to see, I think Dollar Shave Club had their one dollar and then they would like have half a snicker bar or or like yeah like they would have like they would show like they would yeah anchoring against things that you would buy on a daily basis like oh you could buy half a snicker bar or you could buy a razor for a dollar what would you rather buy like what would you rather buy it's so smart too because you don't have to just anchor to prices i love that you bring that up you could anchor to literally anything i have a brand right now that's actually running a test to see if they can Basically, take pricing off of the website and anchor to an icon. So this is similar to a test that Ikea is running right now, and Ikea is crushing with it. 
uh, because they're IKEA. But IKEA basically tested in some different markets, taking off prices off all of their price tags and only using a price anchor that was related to an item somebody already knew. So they basically took tags and put like coffee cups on it. So this like table is like comparable to like three coffee cups or whatever it is. Because I can do the mental math in my head and say, okay, well, and I usually go to Starbucks. It's what, like eight to 10 bucks. So this is like a $30 table. I can do the math really easily without actually seeing the numbers. It is bonkers. Like the brain is insane. <laughs> it's it's crazy because you could, because people will easily buy small purchases that add up to what that large purchase yeah. would be, but they don't understand. Like once you put it in in perspective to them and say, "Hey." I mean, you don't have to sacrifice, but you could sacrifice having coffee for like three days and yeah, buy this table. You could buy this table that you need in your house or you want in your house. Absolutely. I mean, you can anchor to all kinds of things too. You can anchor to another brand, which is actually very smart. Hertz did this um, a while ago. Hertz and... Avis? Avis. Thank you. Avis. Yes. So Avis was second to Hertz, right? For a very long time. Hertz has been on the top for forever. So Avis was struggling to kind of compete in the market. So they basically took an anchored stance and generated a giant campaign that said you know we're the underdogs which means we have to try harder so they were trying to tell people we're second to hertz on purpose we told you this <laughs> and because of that we actually have better customer service we try harder with our customers we're not as awful to work with and it works i mean they, it grew their brand significantly during that time period that the campaign was running and then they turned it off which was very sad on their part but <laughs> In general, you can anchor to all kinds of things and see good success with it. Also, I think that added one other thing that is a great thing to do in marketing is that they basically admitted their flaws up front and then they told them why they're better. So it's like, okay, hey, we, we know we're second. So they built trust with the audience. So they came out and said, we know we're second, but actually second's good for us because we will spend more time doing things for the customer, doing yeah, this, doing that. So they anchored in the sense of that, but they also admitted flaws up front and then they were just like, okay, that builds trust. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and they like you say, do you suggest you get the chicken? And they're like, no, the chicken sucks, but get the steak. <laughs> like, yeah. My so. husband does this all the time. He always asks, every time we go to a restaurant, he always asks the waiter or waitress, like, which one's your favorite, right? And the servers are always like, well, they'll get this one or this one or this one. But this one is amazing. And it's always amazing. Every time they give us a suggestion, it's always amazing. Brands should do this too. Like we need to come out and say, we're not very good at this. <laughs> but because of that, we're trying really hard over here. Like we can't fix everything because we're human. But like we can fix a lot for you. This transparency is really important because it makes the brand human. And humans buy from humans, not brands. We dove in a little bit about price anchoring. So what are some other strategies you weaved into some ad creative or ads that people can use today that will can help their ads out? I tend to err on the side of being as emotional as I possibly can. I think a lot of people are very nervous about that because emotions are not very accepted in this particular culture. However, the more emotional you can get with somebody, the better. Now, this doesn't mean that we're trying to go in and be just crazy flowering with our language and just be fluffy feely all the time. I'm trying to identify specific emotions that are coming out of each customer subgroup. So I use something called an NLP report. It's natural language processing. Basically means that I'm doing linguistic analysis to try and identify which emotions are coming out of our customer base. 
And doing this, I usually categorize into nine different emotions. I can tell pretty quickly, depending on the language that they're using, which emotion they're currently feeling or which emotion they solved by working with brand. Because I usually taking, I'm usually taking all this data off of the reviews. So this is after purchase. The interesting part about doing that is you can take one message and say it in a thousand different ways. You will literally never run out of ideas for apps if you do it this way, because you, you're taking an emotion and displaying it in millions of different ways. Instead of trying to take one angle, like moms who run, <laughs> dads who grill, right? Like that's a very specific use case and fatigues so quickly, especially in today's like algorithm. So using those emotions, I think is probably the number one thing that I would suggest first. Identify those core emotions of your customer and then challenge your team or yourself to create an ad that is like, how many different ways can I say confidence? How many different ways can I say fear? How many different ways can I say comfort? We can't just use one word. There's millions of different ways to say. I remember reading cash advertising. Yeah, and, that's and a good book. I just remember that like, there's like that the life force aid where you have like eight basic human instincts that everybody has, which like survival enjoyment of food and beverages, freedom of your pain. And if you use like that and then you combined it with common pain points that people have, like you could do a lot for in an ad if you take those two to put them together. It's very Maslow's hierarchy, right? So like yeah. all these things have to be set and then we can get into existential needs, like, you know, growth and personal like enjoyment, those type of things. But all of the, the basic stuff, security, housing, clothing, food, water, like that all has to be set before we can start getting into these other kind of human emotions. The interesting part about that, though, is um, I work with a lot of brands who think that they have targeted towards an emotion and I have to draw them back a lot because they're like, well, we're going after fear. We've told people that like, if you don't do this particular thing, you're going to lose 20% of your bone mass every year and it's not working. Like we're trying to push into fear and it's just not working. And I have to tell them, this all comes down to behavior because how you behave teaches people what you're going to do next, right? So if I'm working with somebody and this coworker is just constantly berating me, I can pretty much guess that tomorrow this person's also going to be kind of mean to me, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's preemptive behavior. Now, this happens in markets as well. So if we have a customer base that, for instance, is looking for some sort of skincare, right? We have to understand what's the behavior that's currently happening in the market. Are they putting a lot of lotion on their face or are they bar soap users? Because that's a very different market. Are they the type of person that uses a Dermarola religiously or are they the type of person that just like rinses their face with water at night and calls it good? Does she go to sleep with her makeup on or is she like, hell no, I got to take all of that off before I go to sleep because I don't want to get like breakouts. What is she doing behaviorally? Because this will come into play when we start to draft ads that speak to the human experience it's so much faster way, way cheaper if we speak to the behavior and not necessarily just to an emotion. Even though I just said use emotion. <laughs> you got to use emotion and behavior. <laughs> the, well, the point you just made is very interesting because when you tell people, like, for example, in the future, you could get 80% like less bone. Like, humans can't think that far out, especially like younger. Like, you're the position to how it can help them right now or today. And if they keep doing this activity, it will prove for the 
later. You can add that into, but I think I, I was talking to Rory Sutherland about he did a campaign. <gasps> I love him. Oh my gosh. Rory's my idol. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. But he was telling me how like in UK they were trying to get more people to do pensions and th- it was hard because especially younger people can perceive what it's like to retire like in the head so like they i I forgot i but he he just changed the messaging that instead of that it's like investing like it's only taking five percent of your salary today or something like that you gotta put it in context Rory's the master at this too uh, of basically behavioral marketing is what we're talking about like behavioral science-based marketing where we're talking about what does this person currently value because again, if you're selling something like insurance, which is very similar to selling supplements, I will say, the uh, the cognitive struggle with that, insurance and supplements are very similar. So if you're struggling as a supplement company to try and get people to stick with your product, it almost always comes down to the fact that people cannot think almost farther than about three months ahead of time. Even six months out, that time frame is too difficult for the brain to understand even though it knows what six months feels like, it has no idea what it's going to be doing in six months. So it doesn't prioritize future very much over current needs and current pleasures that it's trying to like figure out. So if you're selling something like supplements, insurance, those type of things, it's best if you can bring it back to what are you currently losing? This year, you're going to lose 2% of all of the collagen in your body, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that could be the difference between a handful of hair (laughs) this year, right? Like, you got to put it into context of what these people are currently experiencing and then connect it. You know, you're going to be taking the supplement so that next year's you can keep her here. That's the way to do it. Like even like for men with like hair loss, like most men start the process when they're losing hair, but when they should really start when they aren't. (laughs) but like it's uh, marketers could position it as hey like keep your hair that you have today for for 10 years down the road that's different than saying hey you're gonna lose your hair in 10 years and you could be like oh maybe i have the genes that don't lose my hair so i don't buy this today yeah Um, they'll they'll roll that dice if they're not currently experiencing it yeah you would do you would do better to talk about the fact that like if your father lost his hair, he lost it at your age. Not when you're 10 years down the road. You may not be seeing the hair loss yet, but the wheels are already turning. Like this year, you're going to lose hair, right? So you're trying to come come back to, again, all comes back to that human experience and behavior that's happening currently. Very important for brand. So we've done two. So pricing, you've done like using emotions. Um, I know we talked about two before the podcast but i think i think they are important to note that you can use these two but one is using social proof ugc whatever people will use and then the second is using like an authoritarian figure whether you're selling toothpaste and it's a dentist (laughs) Um, how have you seen people do this well because i think some people do social proof in a bad way and some people do it well so how do you see people doing it People think social proof is a testimonial, and that's not at all what it is. (laughs) Social proof can come in the form of a testimonial, but that's not what it is. When it comes to social proof, social proof can literally start entire mass movements within a culture. It's literally herd mentality. It's people following people is all it is. 
So the the heuristic of social proof comes down to if other people like it, I probably will. Or if other people like it, it must mean that it's not damaging. It's not bad for me. It must mean that somebody tested it, which means I'm safe. It's a safety kind of a mechanism in the brain. And this starts from babies. Like babies are very keen on watching what their parents eat and how their parents eat it. Uh, so you'll notice that at like a really young, I have two kids, a five and a three-year-old, so I just went through this. But at a very young age, these kids will start picking up pieces of food and like just practicing, right? But they'll also watch you eat food. So if the baby's sitting on your lap, they'll just watch you put things in your mouth. It's very creepy <laughs> how they just sit there and watch you. But this mechanism that they have for watching teaches them how to eat, right? And what not to eat, basically. This happens at a young age and we carry it all the way up into adulthood. So we follow people constantly just to double check and make sure we're not going to poison ourselves. We're not going to walk off a bridge. We're not going to do something that will like damage the body. So when it comes to social proof, I would so much rather you as a brand help your customers do the talking for you instead of like you trying to say we are a well-loved brand. Now, that doesn't mean that you should take all this, you know, five stars off of things. I want you to continue using this like 20,000 customers love it because it does work. But what I would rather you do is help your customers tell other people for you because that word of mouth marketing is 100% how social proof works. <laughs> it's people telling people. That's the example I have of this is actually Apple did this very easily. Uh, when they came into the market with their iPods, it was very early on. Almost everybody had an MP3 player that was black. Right. So the player was black. The headphones were black. The case was black. Everything came in this like weird gunmetal gray shade. Right. Apple came in and turned everything white. All of their products were white. Their headphones were white. The cases were white. The product packaging was white. Everything was white. So now people started to see as they were walking along the roads and like with their friends and out in the stores that everybody was wearing these white headphones and had these white products. So they stood out. That is social proof. Not necessarily testimonial. People walking around with the product was enough social proof to boost the numbers exponentially. Yeah, testimonials is one out of a, a thousand ways. And also, even though you're writing a testimonial, it could be targeting if it's to say the testimonial was from this person that doesn't match who I am in a person, yeah. I'm not going to buy. So exactly. it's better. It is actually better off to show like, Hey, we have, we're 4.7 stars and we have 21.7 thousand, whatever. Cause like the more people, people see, they follow the, the, those people. Um, but I like the, the Apple examples. Apple does also how Apple did. They purposely made like the Apple logo on Macs, like face outwards and not like when you close them it looked bad <laughs> but they didn't care about like what you look they, they, they what cared. other people saw oh the apple's real i could study apple all day long because they made very strategic decisions about what other people thought about your product not what you thought about it because they knew they knew that humans are so so sensitive to what other people think about us <laughs> that's very deep very deep, deep so on the opposite side for uh any anybody that's going to authority proof this one is oh, hard. Authority proof is very hard to get right because you can't just say nine out of 10 dentists recommend this. You can't just say that anymore, mostly because it's only going to work for a small subgroup of people. And here's the reason why. Depending on the market you're in, authority proof may not be trusted. And I've had to work with quite a few brands on like helping them understand this concept. If you're in any sort of medical field that has anything to do with a generalized doctor or anybody that's 
anybody that you see on a consistent basis, right? So family doctors, you're probably going to struggle a little bit with customers trusting this doctor recommended thing. Because in this country, at least in the U.S., the medical field is a very politically charged <laughs> uh, concept. However, on the opposite side, for like a physical therapist, physical therapists are not usually, uh, they don't have a lot of stigma around them, right? People trust their physical therapist, usually. So it depends on the industry you're in. You have to be very careful about how you frame things. Now, one of the best ads I've ever seen, and I'm just like, this is so freaking psychologically brilliant, was a company that makes toothbrushes for kids. And on there, they literally just said, nine out of 10 doctors recommend your child use, you know, a, a toothbrush and brush twice a day. But the 10th doctor recommends us. That was a really interesting psychological shift of like, holy crap, nine out of 10 doctors are telling me this. Why does that particular dentist recommend this brand, right? So it gets you thinking a little bit about, do I trust my dentist? So that brand was very smart and trying really hard to, to narrow down into this, like, do you trust what your dentist tells you? Because it's possible that your toothbrush is the reason why your kid has cavities. Even on authority, authority could be a creator or influencer that it doesn't even have to be a, a dentist. Like, okay, I use this toothbrush with for my kids every right? single day. Exactly. Like, that's not even a dentist, but like this influence. Like for you, for example, you had two kids. Like if you told, I bet you told your friends like, hey, this toothbrush that I'm using mm -hmm. my kids, my kids t are using it every day. They're brushing their teeth. It's amazing. Yep. That would probably go a longer way than saying like four to five dentists that do that because you, you coming also from sometimes a place of authority because you like okay I I have kids I they understand that I I'm a mom I get it um, that's also an authority figure because you just like moms take care of kids it doesn't have to be like someone who's necessarily like, specialized in like kids or like hey I went to my dentist love the dentist they're the favorite in the community and exactly. someone else is talking about the dentist and you're you're, you're recommending a product that the dentist gate told you um yep. so works out is there any other like takeaways that you you've seen that you want to tell the audience that like hey or anything that you want to say to the audience like that they should do today in their advertising that could can change a game even if it's like a small little tweak this is something interesting that doesn't have to do with advertising but it's something that i i constantly tell people to check double check what your buttons say on your landing pages in particular i have a brand that i just worked with that had the message of like get a quote right or like find out if you what did they say uh find out if you qualify was the the button that they had on their website because some of their brand was running through insurance right and so I challenged them on it and I was like, I think this button is scaring people. <laughs> it sounds weird, but I, they, people are freaked out when they see that button. So they changed it to literally just like get started, drastically increased the performance of those pages. So second guess everything you think is, is standard in the industry because sometimes what you think is going to be beneficial for performance might actually be changing the behavior of the people that are coming on the page. It's little things that people get attuned to. And, and well, this stems down into, again, some neuroscience and psychology. Everything that you interact with gets interpreted by the brain within milliseconds. You don't even know what's happening most of the time. 95% of our processing power comes through that subconscious mind, the mind we can't control. So most of the time you are running on autopilot. 
the rest of the time you're making very logical, like very calculated decisions, but that doesn't come into play unless you're forced into a situation that isn't common. So in general, I say double check things like you gotta, you gotta be very careful with how you're presenting the information. <laughs> isn't there also like a bias? I don't know the exact bias, but isn't there a bias how humans like finishing what they started? So like even like get started is like a different, cause like learn if you qualify means I have to start something, but then I don't know if I'm going to get a result, but get started is like, oh, if I get started, I have to finish this today. Exactly. Um, yeah. People really hate it when they get into like um, a little bit of a loop, right? And they don't get to finish it. This happens a lot with copy. It's called an open loop. So if you say, oh my gosh, you'll never guess what I just heard. Your brain goes, what? <laughs> like, what What did you hear? I need to hear what it is. It might be the dumbest thing ever. Like they have donuts 50% off today, right? It doesn't matter what the, the information on the tail end is. Open loops are very intense for the brain. It wants to know. So this happens uh, everywhere in paid advertising, on landing pages, all over the place. Humans hate unfinished things. So if you can get that process of like get started, what do they call this? It's basically sunk cost fallacy, right? Well, I've already put time into it, so I might as well finish it. Exactly. That's that you got the exact one I was looking for. Um, the last question I have for you is what is a marketing hill you would die on? In general, it doesn't matter what type of ad you run. Branded ads, ugly ads, cost caps, <laughs> ASC. It literally doesn't matter what type of structure you try and put around that ad. The only thing that's making people purchase is the emotion inside it. That's it. I remember a quote that stuck with me. I forgot who said it, but like the advertisement is the targeting. And people have got back to this with like iOS 14.5 that they just running broad ads and saying they're creative. But if you have a good ad that targets the has emotion, has great copy, great creative, it's going to perform 10x better than you trying to tweak the system. Maybe (laughs) 10 years ago, you could target perfectly and get purchases, but not anymore. It's not going to. It used to be very technical. All of the metrics that were in account used to tell you what your targeting was doing, the actual in-platform. Who were you targeting? Did you turn off any of your like previous customers? What were your like lookalikes doing? It used to tell you technical things. Now it only tells you what the creative is doing. And if you don't know how to interpret that, it's time to learn because it's only going to get worse. We're, we're, I mean, Google's eventually, they keep swearing they're going to do it and they haven't done it yet. Google eventually is going to take out cookies and then that's going to drastically affect how our pages perform, right? We're also coming up against iOS 17 coming up here, which is going to change a whole bunch of other different privacy policies that we're running into. So there's like, it's just going to get worse. We're going to get more and more and more restricting. So you might as well take the time to learn how to emotionally market and how to be more behavioral based because that's that's the only lever we have left. And even just to add on to that point, I think that's why like, older marketing books are so great because they didn't have like the technology we had today. They didn't have, um, but they, they still got customers through the door. They still got people to walk in the snow to turn in a mail check. So yeah. if you, if you, if you can use psychology and great creative, like laziness is like, you can't, it's out the door. Now you have to start stepping up your creative game, your psychology game and all that good stuff. hundred percent. Um, lastly, where could people find you? Where could people find I am you? Uh, usually on Twitter, literally all day long. 
So you can go follow me at Sarah Levenger. I'm on LinkedIn at Sarah Levenger. Uh, and I also have like a YouTube that's got one video on it. So you can go watch that one video on YouTube. <clears throat> I'm hoping to have more time to like build that up. I also have a newsletter though, if you guys want to. Uh, as far as I know, this is the only creative strategy newsletter in the industry right now. And I'm doing all tactics. So none of it is theory. <laughs> it's 100% use cases every single week. It takes me three hours to write it. So please subscribe. <laughs> that would take a while. But yeah, I'm giving away free ads over there. So if you want a free ad, go subscribe. Well, that sounds like a good deal right there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like tactical newsletters where you can get in specific. So I think if you need to dive, dive in, go. Sarah is is known as the one of the best in the industry. So that's, you, you, Thank you. Just <laughs> from what I've social proof on Twitter. Where <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for joining. I appreciate hey, it. Um, it was so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.